Look at what I got this morning. Tell me I'm not loved because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. And I got my favorite drink. This is, you know what, I, I heard a mom uh, the other day, she was, uh, I was online and she was talking. She said, you know what, she said, I never uh, got jewelry on Mother's Day. Never got a white horse that came in, you know, full of, you know, throwing roses down at me. And she said, and I learned that, you know, through my years of being a mom, dropped my expectations on Mother's Day. And she said, and then I found out when I did that, I was having a great Mother's Day. And, um, you know, so I want to encourage those of you that are here today, and maybe you woke up this morning. I actually woke up to uh, flowers. And I went, I know, is that sweet? And I said to Pastor, I went in, I said, honey, thank you so much for the flowers. He's like, you're welcome. I gave him a great big kiss. And, and uh, I was like, that was just so sweet of you to do that. And then all of a sudden he looks and he goes, um, okay, what flowers? And I said, did you give me flowers? He said, you're not my mom. So I said, oh. <laughs> so my daughter had blessed me with, with that. But I just want to encourage those of you that maybe your kids are, you know, they're far away. And maybe you didn't get, you know, something this morning. That's all right. Because I want to talk to you this morning about, um, a, a, just about motherhood. Now listen, for those men that are here today, your day's next month, right? And pastor will get up and he'll talk to you. But I want to talk to the women here today. But I know this message. If Men, if you'll listen to it with an open heart, you're going to get blessed and you're going to get something out of it also. Because there, you know, those of you that are fathers, this is going to help you this morning too. Because I want to talk to you this morning. I titled this message, Broken Crayons Still Color. Now, first of all, actually, even before I start that, I just want to honor all of our moms, and I want to see your hands. If you were a mom raising your kids before internet, iPads, Google, you know, all that kind of, give it up for all those moms with their hands raised. That was me. We didn't have an iPad to shove to our kids to say, entertain yourself or play a game. We had to entertain them ourselves, you know. And there was no such thing. When they came running in with the rash, you know, we couldn't go, oh, let me Google that to see what that is. I just went to my kids, you know, listen, do you feel you need to go to the hospital? I will take you to the hospital if you need to go. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't have a clue. Just don't touch nobody else so it won't spread. That was my Google back then. So moms today, listen, you, you, it's just as rough for you, but come on, you have Pinterest. You can just Google, you know, um, child's first birthday party, and there's thousands of ideas. Us, we went, okay, whatever is cheapest at Walmart, that's the theme we're going with, right? And because you didn't have Pinterest, nobody else thought, oh, you're being cheap. They just went, oh, that's really cool. I'll probably get the same thing too. But, um, I, you know, but the technology that we have today is wonderful. It helps with, the, you know, raising your kids. But I'm going to talk about a little bit about that in just a moment. But, you know, I want to just honor my mother. And, you know, she raised us not only without all the technology, but, you know, we, when we grew up, we didn't have a lot of stuff. And I watched my mother at Christmas time give us presents from the Salvation Army uh, stores, and she would wrap them up and give it to us. 
And even though we knew they were all secondhand items, my mother made sure that we understood what Christmas was all about. She made sure it was going to be fun and it was going to be entertaining. And I learned from my mom in so many different areas in life that it's not about where you come from. It's not about how much money you've got. It doesn't matter the education, your looks, nothing like that. We as mothers set the atmosphere for our children so that when they raise, rise up in life, they know the importance of what things are all about. My mom had three daughters, but she also has raised hundreds and hundreds of sons. She worked at the Adult Rehabilitation Center for many years for, for men. And we go places, and I'll hear in the deep voice, I'll hear, hey, mom, mom, mom. And, you know, my mom will look around, and there'll be somebody. Hey, mom, how are you doing? Hey, she'll just be, you know, she's just like, there's another one of my sons and another one of my sons. And, and I look at the impact that my little mother had on so many different lives. And she didn't birth them, but she was going to mentor and train them and prepare them for their life. And so I want to encourage those of you that are here today, you know, it's not about our biological children only. But we need more mentors. We need men and women that will rise up today, that will be moms and dads, not buddies, not girlfriends, not, you know, the, the good old God that's just going to, you know, just play games with you all day, but that will rise up to speak the word of God, the truth of God into our lives and mentor us. So I just thank those of you that are here today that step out of your boundaries of just your own lives to mentor and mother and father others. So give yourselves a hand if that's what you're doing. Give yourself a hand if you're not so nobody knows you're not, but you plan on doing it. But I want to encourage you to, that whatever season that you're in in life, whether you have small children, teenagers, especially teenagers, we pray blessings over you, or your kids are grown and you've got grandchildren, or maybe you haven't had children yet and you're still ready for them, that I want to encourage you that even though you feel like maybe you haven't always done the right things, maybe you feel like, you know, I've done a terrible job. Maybe you feel like, I don't even know how to parent. I don't know how to mother. I don't know how to be that example to my kids. We live in a society of regrets. We live a life of such shame and condemnation of the, sh I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that. But we have to remember that we have a Savior. We have a heavenly Father that we can take our regrets, we can take our shame, we can take our guilt, we can take our if-onlys. If only I would have done this. If only I would have known about that. If only I wouldn't have done this. And we get to take that to a Savior. See, we tend to beat ourselves up over the smallest of things instead of enjoying the victories of God. Instead of enjoying the, the fact that we know that we have a God that answers prayer. And even if it hasn't been answered yet, that he is a promise-keeping God. And why we sit and we focus so much on, on how upset that we're getting over things that are happening in our lives. You know, when you would give your kids a box of crayons, and then they break within the first, you know, five minutes of them playing with it. Either the kid is crying because he broke his crayons, or the parent's upset because they're like, I just bought those for you. 
Could you not have kept them nice for just the littlest of times? But no matter how broken they get, they still can be used for the purpose that they were created for. You know, they might not look perfect, uh, but because of the way that they were made, the way those crayons were created, it doesn't matter the imperfections or their appearance, they still have the ability to color. And boy, how we love when our kids color for us. You know, it's that refrigerator art. It's that thing where you put a smile on your face and it's like you start sweating because they're coming so excited for the picture that they just colored you for you and they're so excited to show it for you and you have no clue what it is. But you're going to have to say, that is a gorgeous bird, right? And you're sweating because you're like, I-, I don't have a clue what this looks like. And if you say the wrong things, it's going to crush their little spirit, right? So you just kind of go all the way around, like, you know, just trying to figure out, get clues to figure out what that picture is. And we get so excited, and we put it up on the refrigerator, and we don't care about what the crayons look like. We just love the outcome. And that's how our Heavenly Father is with us. I'm so thankful that he doesn't mind if you're that tiny little nub at the end of the crayon that barely can do anything, but yet it can still color. And God says, just take your life and do something with it. I am so excited. I'm so proud of you. With all our many imperfections, we can still do what we were created to be. No matter all the brokenness, no matter all the ugliness, we can still be used to create. See, we were each uh, created with our own individual fingerprints. We know that. But did you know that you each have your own individual tongue print and footprint? Which means that each of us are called to touch people's life like no one else can, to speak into somebody's life like nobody else can, and to walk a path like nobody else can, and to leave our mark on this planet. That's how God created you to be. But Satan is driven, guys, and we know this. He's driven with such hatred because he does not like the fact that we were created in the image of God. He hates the fact that you were created for purpose. He hates the fact that no matter how imperfect you are, that God still thinks that you are incredible. He still calls you son. He still calls you daughter. He still calls you all those perfect, wonderful things that a father calls a child, and Satan hates it. And if he can succeed in your life to get you off focus, to get you on your imperfections, to keep you on uh, focusing on your brokenness, then he's won. John 10.10, we all know this scripture verse, but we're going to look at it again. It says, the thief does not come except. Satan doesn't come into your life when you don't want to do anything. He is very happy with you sitting on your couch doing absolutely nothing, speaking into nobody's life. Don't go to church. Don't, go, don't read your Bible. Don't pray. Don't mentor. Don't encourage your children. Don't do any of those things. And he loves it. He won't come and bother you. But he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But God says, I've come to, have, to give them life and have it more abundantly. So basically, the plan of Satan is this, is to steal your self-worth, to kill your identity so he can destroy your future. There's his steal, kill, and destroy. 
And not just your future, but your children's future. You know, as a parent, the first thing that you do is, if an intruder is coming into your home, is to protect them. You would not go, if somebody's trying to break into your home, you would not go, you know what, I'm just so tired. You know, I'm just so broken. I just, I, there's no way that I could get up and defend anybody. Who am I? You know, they're probably bigger and stronger. They probably have a weapon. And you know what? I, my kids are just going to have to fend for themselves. We wouldn't do that. But yet we do it on a daily basis when we don't rise up in our God-given calling and our God-given purpose, when we don't walk through our brokenness to get to the other side and then teach our children to do the same thing. I see a society that is, is allowing, uh, you know, uh, people, adults, that we're so focused on our own junk And we're so focused on the woe is me. We're so focused on, you know, I just got to figure out my life that we're not trying to teach the next generation who they are. I had a family member, and, and, and it breaks my heart that they're so excited to raise their child to figure out for themselves what they want to do and be in life. And that even comes down to basically their gender. Well, if they want to do this, I'm just going to allow them to do that. If they want to just have that, I'm going to allow them to do that. You're not telling them who they are. You're not telling them who they were created to be. You're not telling them what they can have in their life. You're not telling them. And we need to get our brokenness healed so that we can tell this next generation who they are. That we can look at them and say, you are better than that. We can look at them and say, you know what? Everybody might be screaming, you're nothing, but let me tell you who you are, who you were created to be. See, when Satan tries to attack and kill and destroy, We need to defend, and we need to warfare, and we need to train. And if you live your life believing the life of the enemy or believing the lies, uh, the lies of your parents, you know what? Not everybody's perfect. And you might have had some really, you know, just some parents that didn't know how to bring you up. They didn't know how to show you love. They didn't know how to show you, uh, you know, kindness and to speak into your life. But if you always go back to that fact, if you always go back to the lie that you have heard that the Satan has used through your parents or through people or around you, it will affect the way you see yourself. And you'll always see your weaknesses instead of your strengths. And it will cause you to miss the potential and the purpose that you were created for. See, you can only rise to the level in life to the level of your emotional health. And you're always wondering why my life isn't changing. You're always wondering why you're still constantly just going around the same issues. It's because you have to, you're only going to rise to that level of emotional health, uh, health. You know, people want to take their emotional baggage, you know, they want to take their hurts, their angers, their betrayal, their brokenness, and blast it on social media because they feel that's going to make me feel better. I'm going to let the world know how, 
you know, how bad I was hurt. And this is why I am the way I am because of this person over here or this situation over here or this government thing that's going on over here or the education or lack of education that, you know, I didn't get. I'm going to blast out there because then everybody will know that's why I am the way I am. And we have a lot of people that are so comfortable in their brokenness. And they're so comfortable in the p- p- position that they're in and their emotional health. And yet they're so frustrated continually. But see, I know the, the, the Savior that we can go to, that we take our emotional brokenness to. And God says, let me touch that. Let me heal that for you. That's the only way that you're going to get healed emotionally over things that have been done to you in your past so that you can move on to do great things for God. See, God gave us his son, but not just for our eternal salvation. And thank you, Jesus, for that. He is preparing a home in heaven for us, my mansion. I already know what mine is going to look like. I already asked the Lord, I want mine by an ocean. Pastor likes the mountains. We're trying to figure out how that can merge together. I'm thinking more Hawaii-looking kind of a thing. But, I, you know, and I'm so grateful for that. But he also gave his son so that we can have the promises fulfilled in our lives now on this earth as we're living here. And we have the thousands and thousands of promises out of the word of God for our healing not only physically, but emotionally, spiritually, our deliverance, our safety, the, you know, our, our, our promise of prosperity, of joy, and of peace. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it was a one-time deal, but it continues to grow and it continues to give. And I'm so grateful for that gift. You know, you wouldn't give somebody a car and not give them the keys. That would just be mean. That would be ridiculous. I mean, you could go and sit in that car every single day and say, thank you for this car. This car is wonderful. I love this car. One day, maybe I can figure out how to drive it. One day, maybe I can figure out how to get keys and, and we could do something with it. But for now, I'm just grateful just to sit in it. That's not who our God is. Our God says, here's the car and here's the keys. I want you to do something. I want you to go somewhere. I want you to enjoy this. That's the promises that he gives us. We get in this thinking and in this thought life that we have that the benefits of God, well, they're for everybody else and not for me. Because, I mean, come on, look at my life. I've messed up way too many times to enjoy the benefits and the promises of God. As women, we definitely can do that all the time in our lives, to beat ourselves up continually. And we can tell anybody and everybody else about the blessing and the favor of God, but we can never accept it for ourselves. And we don't think we deserve it. But Romans 8, 31 through 32 says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us everything else? I love that translation in the Bible. He's saying, I gave you my son for eternal salvation, but everything else is included in that. John 1, 16 says this, from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. In Psalm 68, 19, I love this one. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with his benefits. Uh, The God of our salvation, Selah. Stop and think about it. 
Daily, he loads us with benefits. If you've ever done a load of laundry, you know that's a lot. So I always think of that, when I think of that verse, I always think a load of laundry. I think, man, the abundance of trying to get all that laundry stuffed into my washing machine because I got a big load to do. And God says that's the kind of blessing and benefits he gives in your life. So it's just so much you just don't even know what to do with it. The problem is, is that we have to fight against thinking that those blessings, because of our past, because of our wrong decisions, things that we've done, you know, our economic situation, maybe because of divorce, maybe because you're single, the list goes on and on, that these things are not ours. But God, because he sent his son, blankets every single one of us. It does not matter what the brokenness is that you have in your life, the brokenness that you're living in now. See, Satan wants you to believe the words that you speak over yourself. And we do it a lot. We speak such negative stuff over ourselves. I remember, you know, there was always a list of things I would not allow my kids to say when they were growing up. You know, uh, I'd never let them say, shut up. To, I mean, definitely not to, not to me, but not to each other. I'm like, well, we're not good. We don't say that. Will you shut up? Uh, we're not saying that word. But yet we, we, we go on and on. You know, I'm just so, I'm ugly. I'm this, I'm that. We allow ourselves to say those things. When are we going to rise up and say, you know what? No, we're not going to say that. No, no more. No, 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 no. It might be some facts in it. It might be some facts of where you came from. There might be some facts that maybe you don't have the education that you've always wanted to have. That could be some facts. But the truth of the Word of God is that God, He says, if you ask for wisdom, He gives it generously to you. So you might not have all the book smarts in the world, but you probably, you know, I, there's some people that are out there, they are so book smart, it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing, they're brilliant. But, you know, to live life, they mess up all the time because they just don't know basic life skills. So it does not matter. You ask God for wisdom in whatever area you need it in, and God generally, generously gives. The problem is, is that we live a life of shame. And Satan wants to keep you stuck in a corner full of that shame so that you uh, won't live life to the fullest of what God has for us. Do we make mistakes? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Are we guilty of doing wrong at times? Yeah. Hands up, feet up, yeah. But see, there's a difference between guilt and shame. We tend to think that they're the same thing. Guilt is that moral compass on the inside of you that just goes, wait a second, you shouldn't do that. Or what you did, you shouldn't have done. You need to go and correct that. You need to, you know, uh, change some things. We can go to God to repent and for that, that guilt that we feel. It's the decisions. We take that responsibility on ourselves. But guilt says, uh, we, uh, guilt says we've done something bad. Shame says you are bad. See, there's a big difference between you made a mistake and you are a mistake. And the devil wants to put not just, he doesn't want to put guilt on you, he wants to put shame on you. He wants to take your life and make you believe and cripple you to the fact that you are a mistaken life. Dr. Brown wrote, she wrote a book called Women Women in Shame, and she defines shame this way. 
the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing we are flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance and belonging. So I looked up in the dictionary, because I love to do that when it comes to words. And guilt means a responsibility for a crime or for doing something bad or wrong. We got to take responsibility. There's some things that we have done. But shame in the dictionary is described as a painful emotion caused by consciousness of guilt or shortcoming, a condition of humiliating disgrace. See, the devil wants to make you feel like there's a condition going on in your, in your life. There's something wrong with you. There's a shame that brings emotional pain, and you're going to have to live with this condition of shame. I heard a person describe, uh, describe it this way. Guilt is about my do. Shame is about my who. See, we're all going to do something wrong. But because we can come before, the law, before God with a repented heart, we can, we can work on doing better. But when we allow things to label us, when we allow the shame to come into our lives, and, as, and men and women together, as, as we allow the shame to take over, it puts us in a box. It tells us that we can't have something in life. It tells us that you're never going to be somebody. It tells you that your brokenness is always going to be broken. And, and, and it, shame makes you focus on your weaknesses, on your shortcomings. You know, if you ask somebody, you know, what is, you know, what's, what's your strengths? You know, a lot of times we say and go, um, uh, you know, I don't, I mean, you know, uh, maybe I can, you know, I can, you know, cook. I mean, I can, you know, I, I could clean. Well, okay, well, what's your weaknesses? Oh, my weaknesses? Oh, okay, do you got time? Let me tell you my weaknesses. And we tend to do that because we think so much about our weaknesses. Because we allow the devil just to run havoc through our mind and to highlight those weaknesses and highlight those shortcomings in our life. And we don't stop him right where he's at and say, okay, you know what? That might be the fact, but let me tell you the truth. Here's the truth of God. You know what? God says that, you know, I'm his child. I'm the apple of his eye. God tells me I'm gorgeous. He says I am crowned with beauty. We're placing that shame on our lives, and it's becoming a painful condition. We live with unrealistic expectations of our life. That's the one great, you know, great thing about, you know, uh, Internet today and Pinterest and Google and, you know, uh, Instagram and all those kind of things is we see all this wonderful stuff, and we put our best foot out there, but yet we can look at it and just go, I am such a failure. You know, I, you know, I, I look at moms today and, you know, they're Instagramming, you know, making their organic, you know, applesauce for their babies and, you know, and I'm, you know, look at, you know, hashtag, you know, hashtag mom life. And I'm like, I gave my kids McDonald's. They were like eight months old. And I was like, if you'll stop crying, here's a French fry, you know. And I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I should have done this or I would have done But we get a perception of what reality is and we think because we see all this other stuff going on that we're failures. And we need to be in the Word of God instead of on Instagram. Because in the Word of God, it says God shows no partiality. God thinks we are tremendous people. God calls us with purpose and with destiny. Genesis 1.31 says, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. See, when God created everything, he said it was good. 
And yet when we think of the word good, we see it as something that means that it's less than great. But Psalms 105 says this, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So if the word of God calls the Lord good, is it okay that we're good? I think it's great that we're good. God was not looking for perfect people. He was not looking for the greatness. He wasn't looking for you to have your act together 24-7. He says, you know what? You're good. And so am I. And it's okay to be good. It's great to be good. We might not have everything in life. We might have gone through abuse. We might have gone through neglect. We might have gone through betrayal. We might have gone through some things that have wounded us in our life. But God says, you know what? You're good. You're good. But God, I'm not perfect. Did you not see that Instagram picture of the whole family at a picnic and they were all laughing and they were all just having the best of times and my family just exploded in a fight? I am so far from perfect. God says, I didn't want you to be perfect. Just be good. Enjoy being good. Take what you have and allow God to create the masterpiece in you. And you know, I was thinking about that. Masterpieces take a while to do. And, you know, the last thing you want to hear before you go into surgery as they're putting you under is for your surgeon to go, all right, let's see if I can beat my last, my last time. You know, I, I, I bet you I can do it. I bet you I can shave off five minutes off this surgery than my last one. You'd be going, no, 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 take your time, doctor. Take your time. And yet when it comes to God, we go, God, come on, now, now, now. God, I want it now. <laughs> It's not about having a drive-through breakthrough. It's about allowing God to work in us. We constantly are praying prayers, God, deliver me from this. Take this from me. And God is saying, no, 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 let's go through this thing. In Psalms 23, it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that he is with us. See, we need to be able to surrender our brokenness and our cries of take this situation from me to begin to pray, God, I know that I can walk through any situation and any crisis that I'm being faced with. There was a man, and his name was, uh, I'm going to be closing here, his name was Theodore Giesel. I might be saying the last name wrong. But he wrote his first book on a ship. And this ship, he was coming back from vacation from Europe. And the ship gets caught in a horrible storm. And the Titanic had already happened, so he is freaking out, thinking, this, we're, gonna go, we're going under. We are going down. And he goes into the lounge area of the ship to just try and calm his nerves. And while he was there, he was listening as the waves were beating, beating, thump, thump, thump across the boat. He's listening to the engine trying to make its way and through the waves, and he hears the thump, thump thump on the side of the ship. And as he was listening to that, he took out pen and paper and he wrote his first children's book. He gets back to the States and he goes to try and, you know, have it uh, made into a book. And 27 times he was rejected. And he was about to throw it all away, forget it all, until he uh, 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 ran into an old friend of his who had just got an editing job. And his friend read the book, and thus began the career of Dr. Seuss. 
See, he was on a ship that was thinking, oh, we are going down, we're sinking, I'm dying. He's hearing the thumping of the waves. He's hearing the engine overpower, you know, just trying to work extra hard. And what happened is through all that brokenness, through all that fear, through all that what is going to happen in the future, he allowed the situation that he was going through to create something amazing on the inside of him. We're all going through some things in life. We're all walking through seasons and through wilderness. But if we allow God to take us through, as we come through the other side, we are now people that are no longer the same people that when we started. Do we want to go through stuff all the time? No. Have I always cried, God, take this from? Yes. But I've also known that as he walks with me through situations that on the other side is a blessing. On the other side is, is, is a process and a, and, a, and a breakthrough that has made me the person that I am today. We can't change our past. We can't change the decisions that we've made in the past, but we can make decisions now that can change our future, not just for us, but for our children, for our children's children. You know, um, when I wanted, you know, when I was getting ready to get married and I went to the doctor for a checkup and we were just months before getting married and the doctor, that's when I, the doctor told me, he said, you know, you have two uteruses. Now that's unheard of. Well, immediately I thought, well, that's double blessing, you know, favor. <laughs> it wasn't. And he began to go on and on about all the reasons why I was never going to have children. And that if I was to ever get pregnant, 99.9% .9 of the chance, miscarriage. But if I ever carried a child past a point of, of, of miscarriage, the child would never be full term. There will be situations, there will be problems. And I had to go and tell my husband-to-be what my doctor's report was. Well, we went through life, and, you know, as we're getting ready to have children, we've been married about three years, and um, we said, you know what, there's a brokenness in this body. Here's the facts of what the doctor has said, but we're going to go by the truth of God. That this might be broken in man's thinking, but I get to go above what man says. I get to operate on another level. No matter who tells you that is broken in your life, go, wait a second, no, no, no. But I don't work in that system. I don't operate in that system. That might be how you want to live your life, but I want to operate in what God says about my life. And I remember every month that, you know, of, of not being pregnant. And I would just say, the word, well, it's just not God's will. I guess it's just not God's will. God, not God's will. And I remember one day the Lord said to me, he said, stop blaming me. And I knew exactly what he meant. He meant, you know what? You can sit back and you can whine and complain and you can blame me. Or you can get up. You can get the word of God out. You can get your husband. You can come in the power of agreement. You can start laying hands on yourself. You can start declaring that I will carry my own child. I will get pregnant. This is the blessing and the favor that is on my life. God, you said you give me the desires of my heart. I want to have children. So... I began to speak this. Pastor began to speak this. We began to pray over our lives. And sure enough, there's my first little blessing back there. Pastor Nick. 
I did let the doctor, I gave him one victory because the doctor was so mad at me all the time because he would just be like, he couldn't believe what was going on after giving me all this report. And uh, I gave it to the doctor. Nick was premature. He was supposed to be born August 2nd. He was born August 1st. So he was early. <laughs> so what happened is, is that, that now that I went through that, when we decided we wanted to have another child, I said, oh, this is going to be, no, this is no problem. I had a new doctor. Doctor, this is what's going to happen. This is, I said, oh, no, no, I've been through this before. This is what my faith is going to do. And my second little blessing is, I think, out in the children's ministry. <laughs> 